for Tuesday, May 26th, 2020. This is, Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, in recent weeks, the Georgia Department of Public Health has committed a number of missteps when it comes to the state's COVID-19 data. That's made it harder for some people to trust public officials. There is more trust in government decision-making if people have information. And, you know, there's, there's not enough of it now to calm people down, to reassure people. Willoughby Mariano has been tracking Georgia's data woes for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We'll take a deeper dive into some of the problems and some of the possible reasons behind them. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. It's been a rough few weeks for the Georgia Department of Public Health. It started with a bar chart on the agency's COVID-19 data page that seemed to show confirmed COVID-19 cases going down in Georgia's hardest-hit counties. That chart had its days all out of order. Then last week, another issue, the agency was mixing two different kinds of tests in its reported testing numbers, which public health experts agree isn't the ideal way to do things. Those are just a few of the recent data problems that Willoughby Mariano has been watching. She's a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and she joins me now for more. Willoughby, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. So we are here today to talk about some of the reporting that you have done around data and, and how the state is actually tracking the coronavirus pandemic. A lot of that reporting is focused on problems with this data. I'm wondering if you can just kind of walk me through how you first started to notice that things were maybe a little bit amiss with the state's tracking of COVID-19. A few weeks ago, I think around April 21st, there were a bunch of data reporters at the AJC and a data analyst over at the Investigative Reporters and Editors group that noticed that there were new metrics being posted on the website for the Georgia Department of Public Health. And when they looked at it, they couldn't get the numbers to work out. They couldn't figure out where the numbers came from, why they were so different than the numbers they had already recorded, you know, in their own little spreadsheets. And, and the curious thing about the graph was that it made cases look like they were declining uh, in a really steep fashion when all of our numbers said that they weren't, that they were holding steady at the very least. 
we had looked at the data and found out that the state DPH was using a new methodology and essentially uh, dating the cases back to when either the first onset of symptoms were reported or uh, lacking that when the test was uh, taken uh, and lacking that when the test came in. When previously they recorded the date of a case as just when the test came in was and was reported to the state. And this really drastically changes what the data looks like if you're not careful um, when you read it because there's a, a major lapse in between when a person first feels symptoms to when they get tested and then finally to when the test comes in. I mean, it, it can easily be 14 days or more. And so uh, what happens is that it looks like there are very few cases for the first uh, 14 days or so, when in fact there are plenty of cases, but you know, it just, they, they haven't come in yet. You notice this with the data. How do you actually go about figuring out that this is something that was changed by the state? Well, it was harder to figure out than you think it would be. Uh, usually, any group that posts data, any any group with a scientific background, will tell you what their methodology is. And in the case of the state, they sort of did, but the description was so opaque that we had difficulty understanding. So we had to go back and confirm what the state was doing. Uh, and when we when we did, and when we realized that so many people, ordinary readers who had been uh, tracking the data themselves, were confused by it and really thought the cases were dropping when they weren't, we decided this was very much a story and we had to do it. This was kind of the first thing you noticed, but there have been other issues since then. What are some other things that you found? Well, the list is pretty long. You know, not only are there counts that change from day to day, but for instance, uh, right when Georgia met the 1,000 sort of threshold of deaths, that day, at first uh, we were above 1,000, and then we were less than 1,000, and the numbers kept changing, uh, you know, at a time when we really wanted to know whether we had crossed a really stark milestone, so that was concerning. There was the time where Georgia posted a graph of cases for the five uh, counties with the most number of cases. It purported to be a day-to-day -day graph, but the days were all switched around. There's a color-coded map where the scale keeps changing. So one week it'll look like a, uh, you know, a county will be in red and it'll look like a hot spot for the disease. And then the scale will change over time. So it doesn't meet the criteria of being red and it'll go back to a more pleasant blue. The list goes on and on. We also saw this last week uh, some issues with how the state was actually recording uh, the number of tests that had been completed, mixing kind of diagnostic tests with tests for people who maybe have had the disease in the past. Tell me a little bit about that. The state has decided to count about 57,000 tests that were not the kind to diagnose the virus, to detect the virus in the bloodstream, but to detect antibodies. Now, the reason why that's crucial and why no expert in the field of public health has uh, been found to have approved of the practice is because, you know, the antibody test really doesn't test for the disease. You don't develop 
antibodies for a number of days after you've been infected. So it's not the same kind of test as the, um, the diagnostic viral test. And that means that it can't tell you if somebody's sick and somebody therefore needs to be isolated so they don't spread the disease further. And that is the kind of test that's crucial for uh, efforts to slow the spread of the disease. The only way you can stop something as contagious as COVID is if you find a person who's sick, who is in a period of their illness where they're spreading the disease, isolate them, and find all the people that they've been in contact with and uh, test them and isolate them as well so they don't spread the disease. It's not just the state of Georgia who is doing that. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is also putting um, antibody tests with diagnostic tests. What do you make of that? I mean, I, I know you, you say experts that you've spoken with say, well, this is not maybe the proper way to do it. But if the CDC is doing it, does that also not give the state of Georgia some cover to do it as well? The... Practice by the CDC might give Georgia some cover, but it's still not the right way to do it. I mean, literally, there is no scientist who is on the record who has said, hey, this is a great idea. They do need to be separated out. So uh, we understand what testing capacity we have as a country, as a state, because uh, the antibody tests don't really give a full picture of how well each state has ramped up its testing infrastructure. And let me go back and tell you, I mean, ramping up testing infrastructure has been crucial since the uh, beginning, since way back in January, when the CDC started to send out tests that, in fact, uh, were not effective, could not detect the virus. We've been slow in the game for having a testing infrastructure that has uh, been successful at testing enough people so we can control the disease. And that is the reason why every state across the U.S. has had to curtail social interactions and why Georgia had to full-on shut down and have a stay-at-home order. If we had the right amount of testing capacity, we wouldn't have had to do that. Other countries, like South Korea, have shown that with the right amount of testing, you can keep this virus under control. At a press conference last week, uh, Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who leads the State Department of Public Health, uh, actually said that she welcomes uh, criticism, that, that she welcomes people saying, hey, here's something we don't think is right with uh, the way that you're presenting the numbers, and, and specifically said that she welcomed that criticism from the media. So what has your experience been working with the Department of Public Health, asking them questions about this data when, when you say have found these issues? I mean, have they been behind the scenes responsive to you and, and welcome to this criticism? Reporting is always hard. And reporting in a pandemic is harder, simply because uh, the State Department of Public Health doesn't have a lot of resources, doesn't have a huge communications staff. And so we have to be understanding that they don't necessarily have the capacity to give us an answer right away. But it's been a bit frustrating because, uh, you know, oftentimes the answers come after deadline on subjects that are really urgent. Because, again, I cannot stress enough to you how closely the general public has been following this data. People are scared, and they want to know if it's safe to return to their ordinary lives. So it's not been as effective as we had hoped. And certainly, 
they have not been as open as we think we're entitled to under public records to releasing the raw data. We don't need to know identities of individuals. They can anonymize the data, but we really want to know what the raw data is, as has been provided in, let's say, uh, Florida. So we could just download those data sets and understand for ourselves. And that's a, actually a crucial point here because you know, let's remember, it's not just reporters who are looking at the numbers. It is researchers across the globe trying to understand the pandemic and understand ways to stop it so we can return to our, our daily lives. You have received at the AJC lots of messages from people who are looking at the numbers we have here at, at WABE as well. People saying, hey, we noticed this, we noticed this. Do you have an explanation for this? The kind of public attention that, that's being paid to this issue, does it change how you do your, your, your work at all? I think 20 years ago, if, you know, when I started out in this career, I don't think I would have seen this type of close attention paid to the data. I mean, it is so meticulous that people are making their own spreadsheets, people who are not in the public health world at all. And when you talk to them, it's sort of their coping mechanism. It's a, it's a way to make sense after, out of something that's so horrible. And so what, as a reporter, I have literally added several hours throughout the day where I respond to every data question I can coming through emails. And so that has changed how I operate as a reporter. Uh, the other thing, too, is that now that we at the AJC recognize the importance of the data, we are trying to explain it more. We're explaining it in more detail. And we're trying to explain different types of metrics that perhaps would have been considered a little bit nerdier. You know, we're looking at models, which, again, uh, I would have thought, uh, you know, just a decade ago wouldn't have been an interest to readers, you know, predictive models, different predictive models, comparing them, contrasting them. This is not the world of reporting that I expected to be into in this pandemic. I mean, it's really extraordinary, uh, you know, especially for somebody who is not a data reporter to be in the thick of trying to understand numbers. I've thought about it as like, I can go a lot nerdier <laughs> because because listeners want it, you know? Yeah, and that's um, and that's okay, and that's actually good. When there's this level of civic engagement, that means that people care. That means that we've got um, maybe a healthy democracy. Um, at least people are civically engaged and are trying to do their part by thinking about the issue carefully. And so we have to help foster that. You know, this is um, an extraordinary amount of civic engagement. You know, people trying to understand complex issues is a good thing in a democracy. Um, the question is, is the state, is the federal government, are they um, providing the kinds of information people need to be good citizens, good voters, to not spread the pandemic needlessly, to make the kinds of decisions that benefit not only themselves and their families, but their neighbors, their community? It's 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 an odd time in our strange democracy. You know, not only is it seriously polarized, but, you know, people are actually interested. They, they really want to understand what's going on. Last week, the governor said, um, you know, and as did uh, Dr. Kathleen Toomey, um, that, you know, they are really focused on transparency. What does that look like to you as someone who has spent a lot of time covering the data, looking at the numbers, talking to public health experts, what does this transparency look like to you? This transparency doesn't 
feel like transparency as a reporter. Now, I mean, we, we try to give allowances to the fact that the State Department of Public Health, the governor's office, they're all really busy. But the kind of granular answers to questions, ones that go deep, you know, answers that give details, that fill in holes that don't make a, a lot of sense to the average person, a lot of those questions aren't being answered in a timely fashion. And again, I think this could all be resolved if we had the raw data. There are a lot of smart people who uh, can take a look at it to analyze it to give us all a better understanding of what COVID is doing in our communities. You know, but it's not there and it doesn't feel very transparent. Um, and we try to be, again, understanding. But if this is transparency, I would hate to see what being opaque is. We certainly understand, and we've heard the same from the Department of Public Health. They're very busy. But what do you make of these things that you've found, these errors that they've corrected, the maybe odd ways that they've displayed the data? Um, do, do you feel comfortable ascribing any intent to that? I don't think we can at this point. We don't have enough information to ascribe any level of intent beyond just, you know, a kind of lack of uh, I guess professionalism, really, and that sounds awfully harsh, but these are not the types of mistakes that professionals in a pandemic should be making. Uh, you know, and again, there, you know, there are incredible, incredible workload issues um, at DPH, and they've been underfunded for decades. But this is their chance. This is exactly what they're there for. Um, you know, fighting a dangerous disease during a pandemic is what you want public health to do. And transparency, giving the public information, is not a luxury in an emergency. It's essential. Think about a hurricane, for instance, that sort of emergency. Public uh, emergency officials routinely give updates multiple times a day, give detailed information, tell you if you need to leave your home, tell you what kinds of areas are going, are, are going to be impacted the hardest. They tell you how to keep yourself safe. Now, a pandemic, it's a much more complicated thing. It's not like we can leave our houses and shelter in a hotel upstate to avoid it. But we need information, plain and simple. It's a fundamental part of any emergency response, and, and it's not happening. So again, I think it's very fair to raise that issue and understand why it's going on. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't have a complete understanding. There does seem to be out there some desire to ascribe intent to what the Department of Public Health is doing here. So when you say here from a, a reader who says, oh, this is obviously people playing with the numbers to make the situation look rosier or maybe to, to mislead the public. Do you wave people off of that impression? As a journalist who doesn't really talk about opinions or has to really avoid being anything close to speculative, what I always try to say is, hey, this is you know, the issue you point out, the problem with the data you point out is problematic. And yes, it does give us a rosier picture of what uh, is going on here in Georgia with COVID. But I always try to remind people, we just don't have information. And in fact, you know, well, any proof that there's any sort of 
nefarious intent or, you know, an attempt to to do some propaganda here. I mean, it takes a lot of reporting and a lot of evidence to make that kind of argument. I mean, again, we're in a democracy. We're supposedly living under a government that values uh, being truthful and giving proper information, accurate information to its people. We would be remiss in reporting ascribing intent in a situation where we don't actually have clear proof of that intent. So we just have to be really careful. But it's understandable when people are scared that readers suspect all sorts of motives um, on the right or on the left for the reopening of Georgia or against the reopening of Georgia. And so now that people lack information, they're going on their personal ideologies, their belief in one particular political party or another political party. And that's where transparency comes in. There is more trust in government decision making if people have information. And, you know, there's there's not enough of it now to calm people down, to reassure people, to make them understand that the government is working for them. And that's a real shame, I think. We should be able to trust our government. This is a democracy. We vote <laughs> these people into office. Um, we should be able to trust them. They work for us. We pay their salaries. So it's not unreasonable. In fact, it's it's essential for us to know the types of information that would lead us to have confidence in our leadership. Willoughby Mariano is a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands.com at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, here is your reminder to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you. <laughs>